The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. So welcome everybody. This again seems to be very quiet Sunday today. I don't some days we get more people and some, some days we get less. So um, I wasn't really thinking of what I'm going to talk again too much, but um, since Adrian announced that we have the Nalinisa um, death or the funeral today, maybe I'll talk something about death and good qualities and perhaps fault-finding mind and all that, because um, it's interesting we had a this old lady, a lot of you don't know her, but she lived to 93 old, three years old, 92, 93, something like that, I guess. And um, I went to see her last week. She was dying in the hospital. It's quite a beautiful, beautiful thing to do. It's nice to see somebody live such a long life and dying peacefully. And um, she was really dying peacefully. She we had the katina the end of the rains uh, retreat ceremony in uh, newbury many of you came there some of you didn't we had it on sunday and she was here she was there on sunday and by i think it was tuesday morning she had the stroke and they had to take her to um the icu and um, she was there on the emergency ward for her and then said like there's nothing they can do about it and she kept living for almost a week. I think it was six days afterwards. She didn't drink or eat or they just gave her a little bit of morphines, but she didn't, she wasn't on a breathing machine or anything. And I, I went to see her and they had a bit of a, um, I felt a little bit, um, when I go, when sometimes we, as a monks, we go and see patients in this, um, emergency wards and it, they're not very uplifting places. There's always people are in, respirators and uh, there's tubes coming out of them and all those things so it's not it's there's a there is this kind of element of stress in those those words but she was in this small room by herself um nothing not even that uh, she was breathing on her own so she didn't have any kind of um tubes or um even the mask she didn't have that and she was breathing very calmly and I was thinking that's a very, very nice way to die. Granted, a lot of us, we don't probably, it's um, not up to us and it's not even sometimes your karma, but whether you can pass away that well. But she did see, she did seem to have a very, very um, mind which was at ease. And one of the things Indira was saying about her mother and that she was always a person who was always saying that just let go, let go. So whatever the neighbors are arguing, just don't get involved, don't worry about it. Just let go. That was her um, mind all of all of her life. And it really is a beautiful mind, which she probably, I've heard that she learned it from her mother. So there is a, there's all these things we can learn from others. But we can develop these mind states of letting go. One of the 
big things in Buddhism. Why? What makes us Buddhist? What? What makes us? Why are we practicing? And what are we practicing? We pra practicing letting go. It's too easy to find fault in the, in life. I was just there in the toilet, and one of the reasons I, why I was giving this talk, I was looking my my face, and I'm starting to get these blemishes on my face and all that old age is creeping in. I'm not that old yet, but it seems to be creeping in. I ordained, I uh, came to monastery 12 years ago and I was sort of in the prime of my life. I thought I looked very good and handsome and all those. And now there's a lot of things I can find fault in my face. The, and the interesting thing is um, if I... If I concentrate, and it's very easy to, or you always find the, fa you know, the fault on your face. You find the pimples and you find the blemishes and you find the dry spots around your eyes and those kind of things. It's very easy to concentrate on those things, isn't it? So we, but if I, so I had to stop myself. Like just no, just don't worry about those too much. It's, it's given. Old age will creep in. What, what can I do about it? Nothing. So I smiled at my own face, and it just and that makes it more beautiful. Have a, like a look of a bit of a have um, distance to your own blemishes on your face, where we we live on our faces quite often. We uh, make make a lot of out of our own face. Um, Ajahn Brahm has this interesting story about. <clears throat> he says we all have problems, and the problem. If it's too close to us, it, it becomes really big, big of a problem. So it's like your hand. It's got the simile when if you have a problem and it's your hand and your hand is right in front of your face, it's really, it's too big. The only thing you can see is the problem. When, when you put the hand in the right place, put it on at arm's length, the problem is still there. But you can see everything else. I can see the hall and I can see you. And the problems are never going to disappear in life. There is no wisdom in here you can gain from this meditation or you gain from the Dhamma Buddhism, which is going to make your problems disappear. But what you can do is give them the perspective. So if you give it the right perspective, that you put the problem at the arm's length, it is still there but at least you can see the world. So they, there's a lot of wisdom in that kind of way of thinking. We tend to concentrate too much on these little nitty-gritty things in life. And we end up going, walking to our grave like that. So once in a while we have to, not once in a while, more and more we have to learn to put those problems, those little, little things which have in life, give them the perspective, put them at arm's length, and realize that life is so much more than our problems. I, unfortunately, know a lot of your problems. I, you come to talk to us monks, and I, you seem to have a lot of problems, all of you. And I have a lot of problems myself. I have, for example, I have 
you know, I feel guilty about being here and not being close to my family. My father has now Alzheimer's and he's, I can hear he's starting to forget and he's got bad weeks and all that. And I should maybe be close to them and all that. You know, there's that guilt having to help your family. And that's one of my problems. I have health problems. Like a lot of us, we have health problems. That's, it's given, it's human life. But the only thing I can do is really learn to live with them and learn from them as well. So it was really nice for me to go and contemplate again. Um, today we're going to have the funeral and one of the beautiful things is to, in Buddhist funerals, um, is to have, we have an open casket. And, quite, and every time I go into the casket, which was taught to me by Ajahn Brahm, we touch the, the body. It's a gold, cold um, piece of meat. There's nothing left. One, once the mind has been gone, when the mind has departed, the life force is not there. What's left? The Buddha gave the simile is like a useless log, which is on the side of the, um, uh, just tossed aside. There's nothing, there is no life left on that log. And the same thing is that body. So all of the, all those things are very valuable lessons in life. And the same thing for me to go and see this um, beautiful life coming to an end. There's no so much sadness, especially when there is a, somebody's lived such a beautiful life. Life of letting go. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about those problems. Just concentrate on good things. That's part of the practice. What is a Buddhist practice? That is a Buddhist practice of not holding on to too many things. Letting go. Um, there's, a really, uh, there's a really nice talk, if you, besides my talks, but there's even better talks out there. Um, Ajahn Brahm has given a really nice talk, and it's, I think it's one of his best talks, is the um, four ways of letting go. And... He's on a BSWA website, a YouTube site. And, um, and he explains there's a four ways of letting go. And one of those uh, ways of letting go is abandoning. And it's Ajahn Brahm gives the simile of, it's almost like we're carrying a backpack everywhere we go in the life. And the backpack is full of rocks. And more you go... It seems to be that the longer we live, the more rocks we collect into that backpack. And we carry it everywhere we go. Whatever it is, depression, family problem, deaths, all those things we seem to accumulate and we put it there and we think we have to carry it everywhere we go. And the backpack gets heavier and heavier. But we have to learn to put the backpack aside. If you really advance, you'll be able to even abandon it. And then what we are actually aiming in Buddhism is to that kind of freedom, freedom of that kind of freedom from having to carry this burden from everywhere we go. Because it's not just this lifetime you carry those stones in your backpack. We carried them for many lifetimes. So it's, you are not born as, um, the, I think the Latin word is tabula rasa, 
tabula means the, like a slate where they used to write. Um, is it Rasa? Uh, yeah, cl yeah, clean slate. So it means like a clean slate. It means something that we, you, as if you were born without no um, individualism. There's no, you are not born as empty slate. You are born because of your past karma, your karma. You are born because of the past, past habits. So you carry those things into this lifetime. So there is no way that you could have lived your life without having any problem in these lifetimes. You already carried them around from the pre previous lifetimes. So it's, don't go into thinking that if only, if only things would have worked out different, life would be somehow different. There is no ifing. It's, life is like that. And it's, again, you realize that once you practice longer and longer and you put in the effort looking what's happening in your own mind. You realize that it's out of control. That's one of the things I keep saying here. My mind is out of control. Really is. Once I see it, it's just shambles out there. And I don't think your mind is going to be any more cohesive than mine. It's just things are floating there. You, We think we... we um, making decisions out of uh, because we thought about things clearly. There is no clear thinking until you get into deep meditations. And then the only th clear thinking what's come out of those clear medit uh, deep meditations is that you realize the only thing you can do is let go. That's the only wisdom what comes out of those if you're being brainwashed in Buddhism. There is no kind of thinking that you're going to be a wiser person who can just live without having any problems in this world. That's a fallacy. The problems are always there, no matter what you do. Even if you go to become a fully enlightened one, they still have pain in the body. The second arrow is gone. They don't have this pain of mind-made-up things, which we think of most of the time where we project things in the future or we ruminate the past. That you don't have anymore. But the pains of the body are still there. Pains of other people coming to talk to you. There's, I, like, I like there's an interesting simile in one of the, the suttas where there was one, one person who came to Buddha and said, I'm an old person, just give me, give me a brief teaching now and I go and meditate diligently. I go and, um, you know, practice what he you know, taught me. And the Buddha said, that's what they always tell me. They always come to me and say, oh, just give me brief teaching. And then they just keep following me everywhere and asking more and more questions. So even the Buddha had the problem. People were just following him around and telling him all these problems probably. It's been going since the, you know, the beginning of time. I don't know, cave men and cave women had problem with each other, I, I guess. So 
it was really nice to hear this contemplation from uh, from the uh, family of that how this person who came from not from wealthy background had a lot of children had multiple problems like all of us do had the mind of letting go so cultivate put effort having a mind again from Ajahn Brahm's talks is having a mind like a Teflon mind where nothing sticks to that it's um, the Pali word for that it's, it's a quite interesting Pali word the, um, anala, analaya which means like um, something which doesn't something doesn't stick into anything so it's the same word where the word the, uh, Himalaya comes. Hima means snow. Alaya means then where snow is resting. So Himalaya is where, where snow is resting. So it's the high mountains. The snow is resting there. So that's the opposite. It's where you have the An becomes then the opposite of that. Where it's have a mind where nothing sticks to. And it's a really beautiful mind to develop where give others the benefit of doubt. When you look in your own mind more and more, you see how out of control it is. You see how petty your own mind is. I see my own mind as like, it becomes this very self-centered way of looking at the world. Try to expand your mind a little bit. Laugh at your own mind and yourself. Who is this person talking all the time in your own head? Who is this person projecting future? Who is that person? Be willing to look at it. Take your time meditate stay quiet some you know time instead of all the time distracting yourself and if you're willing to put that in that effort you see that the mind is moving all the time from place to place to place is projecting the future and is making projections from the past is ruminating it's taking indication from the past how things are and quite often the mind is not very bright there's an interesting simile in, the, uh, in one of the suttas where the uh, one of the kings went to talk to buddha and the buddha asked how long can you have um, a happy mind and the king said you know maybe half a day if i'm lucky and you know these are the kings of the time of the buddha where they had multiple wives if that that's what makes you happy and they had everybody serving them and all those things and the king said at most perhaps i can have a half a day where nobody's bothering me and everything is going well and and the buddha said i can have a mind which is constantly bright and happy if seven days constantly have a happy mind and that's a mind of the, 
obviously deep meditator. But if you can have the mind, that kind of mind, which is at ease, no matter what it is in life, no matter what kind of rock somebody wants to give it you. Again, Ajahn Brahm simile, don't let others control your happiness. We are, seem to be willing, really willing to take these big stones from others, heavy rocks. And he was like, yeah, I'll take that. I put it there. I can carry this. We seem to be really willing to carry the weight of the world, even though nobody really asks you to do that. Instead of just listening and let it go again. Why do you let others to carry to, um, why do you let others control your happiness? Why do you do that? Why do you make all these assumptions of others that they want you to do that? They're just being perhaps grumpy one day and you get angry at them. I know this too well myself because I'm a crumpy person. Other people seem to get angry at my crumpiness. But I mean, what can I do about it? It's not my fault. I can't tell myself, don't be crumpy one day. I'm, you know, I'm just, maybe I have a stomach problem. Maybe I hadn't had enough coffee. I don't know what it is. And I feel crumpy. And then other people feel mad at me. It makes me more crumpy. It makes me feel guilty about it. But when I see my own crumpy mind, if I'm willing to stay, you know, spend time with that, then I see, well, somebody else is crumpy. I just give them space. No, that's the only thing they need. A crumpy person coming from experience. Give them space. Give them kindness. Just say, okay, that's fine. You do, I don't need to hang out too much with you, but the, they still need loving kindness. Even the crumpiest persons, the crumpy people. If somebody comes to me with kindness, and that's the thing with, um, is I, I find that um, living with somebody like Ajahn Brahm, it's so nice when he doesn't project your sour face on his own happiness. He can still be at ease if the other people are unhappy around him. And that is a really difficult thing to do. If somebody is not happy in your life, you are trying to go there and try to change them. Why do you do that? Why do you need to change the world? Change your own crumpiness. Look at your own crumpiness. What's wrong with the other people being unhappy? Give them distance. Learn from your own mind. Once you become less judgmental of your own mind, then you understand that we all need space and we all need kindness, no matter what it is. We don't need others to try to control us. But also don't control yourself too much. Don't become a 
these people who are control freaks, who, going back to this death of this beautiful old lady, if she would have struggled and strived, not willing to let go, she would have had probably way worse moment of death. But because she had a mind of letting go, mind which is at ease, she was able to just let go, let go, and the, uh, the death process becomes easy. Sometimes I've, I've read these books and articles about these um, people who live in hospices and all those things who take care of dying people. And they seem to always say that the worst people who are not able to let go is middle-aged men who have career, who were always thriving, who are always in control. They don't, they cannot let go. They cannot die. They will all the time so much that they cannot even die. Don't become that kind of person. Not, we don't really know when we're going to die, but at least project that it is death is coming to me. Once in a while, that's a, it's a nice contemplation, death contemplation. Death is coming to us. There's a simile from the suttas where the Buddha says, it's like the cow going towards the slaughterhouse. Every step it takes, it gets closer. But the cow doesn't know that it's going to the slaughterhouse. It's the same for us. We are actually walking towards the slaughterhouse. We don't know how far it is. So don't waste effort trying to control that. Be ready at any moment to go to that place where you might have to let go. And that's the last moment. Another where I try to inspire sometimes people, it's like, oh, you know, meditation doesn't work. I don't know if I want, I don't want to continue this thing. I don't want to read suttas. I don't want to put the effort of listening boring Dhamma talks. Look, you might be very close of walking towards the, the stream, to so to speak, in, in Buddhist terms. You just don't know it. And the last mind moment, the last moment you can make that effort, the breakthrough, is that moment when you are dying. But if you're not ready, it will be so chaotic, and so you not be able to be at ease at that, at that moment when the mind has left the body, the mind is free to roam. And if you look at your own mind, you see how out of control the mind is. The mind is so quick. The mind goes wherever there's a little bit of seed of graving somewhere. That's where the mind goes. But if you are willing if, not willing, if you have a mind which you looked at long time, for a long time, you're able to let go. If you have a mind like that, the seed of wanting arises in that moment. You don't go there anymore. And perhaps you can have the breakthrough then.
If not, at least perhaps you can have a, we can't promise you really that much, but at least you probably will go to a better rebirth. The rebirth process becomes kinder if you put in the effort this lifetime. We have these pla other planes of existence in Buddhism, but most likely what you know is to get born as a human. Most likely you get born as a human, all of us. That's what we know. That's where the craving is. What causes rebirth process? This big thing for us is craving to be. Craving to is exist. It's the big thing what makes you go from life to life. The craving arises if you're not willing, if you're not able to let go. And mind is free and it goes. It goes to the next rebirth process. And that, that's your karma. So we need to put in the effort. Even it seems that it's, nothing is working. I don't know, this meditation doesn't seem to work. Or I can't be bothered of listening Dhamma or reading Dhamma books and this, all those things. Don't think that way. Every effort, it's worth it. Every effort of letting go is worth it. Every effort of forgiveness is worth it. Every time you put the problem at the arm's length, instead of look at the blemishes on your face, smile at yourself. Every one of those efforts is like a drop in a vessel which you don't see when it's going to be overflowing. Every time you put in the effort is worth it. Whether it's big or small. And if you don't break through, if you don't seemingly get anywhere the last mind moment the last death before the when the mind starts separating from the body at least then you can put the, uh, the last effort in of not attaching anymore not holding on to anything anymore just let go like Nalini said just don't worry about it let go let go Become that person. And then you're following the Buddha's footsteps. And that's what we should be doing. I don't think I have that much more to go, so <laughs> I'm going to let go of this talk. Very good. If there's any questions or comments or complaints is there anything online so we can get it going uh, yeah we do have a couple online questions um, okay so someone's asking, Ajahn, is the nature of the mind turbulent or peaceful and still? After 40 years of practice, I get the sense that the mind is like a still pool, if not agitated. 
However, when trauma is triggered, it seems that the mind is an out-of-control whirlwind. Right. Um, I think the interesting thing is it's true that um, even if if you think you practice long time or if you practice long time, rather, and um, those are the, the, when you have trauma or things come to our way, those are the ones you actually see whether um, your practice has worked. You can um, seemingly think you're wise and smart and you're in control of this world and then things come to your way. And that's when the, the, um, the previous effort actually comes into, um, the practice comes into fruition or the practice comes into, um, you see whether it, it's working or not. But I mean, not to despair too much, but the, the good thing is that you see that, okay, maybe I wasn't as enlightened as I thought I was. Maybe, maybe there's more work to do. The, until, until you are really on the path, until you actually cross the stream, you're running up and down the one, one side of the shore without realizing you, you could actually just cross the stream. But the, until then, there the are problems which arise, which, which are difficult to overcome. But I think instead of trying to, quite often what we do is we try to solve problems. We think we, I know what to do. I, you, you have a tr um, strategy. You try to have wis use wisdom to overcome problems. And what happens, you make a bigger mess. So don't trust your wisdom too much. Don't, uh, don't think your way through problems. Really is the, the best way is let them go. The more you can abandon problems, which sounds like we are becoming this kind of people who don't care. It's the opposite. But don't track the world with you. So that is, that is wisdom. But if don't try to think your way throughout the world, the problems in the world, because they always come back. But yeah, I mean, sure, I'm, I'm sure they, they, those are the things, there's things come in life where they have become part of the practice. And I think the one thing about this, this um, when you learn, really, when you have a lot of hard times in life, sometimes those people are the most beautiful people. The people who have had easy life, seemingly easy life, they don't seem to have a lot of compassion. I never really met really, really wealthy people who have a lot of compassion, a lot of kindness, heart which is at ease. But I've met people who have gone through a lot of hardships in their life and they really care about others because they know how difficult life can be. If you just go through life and without having anything, these learning experiences, 
it's hard to learn much. In, um, sometimes they say you only learn to uh, love if you lost the love. Then you really know how to love. Because you know how much it hurts. You know that then you have to care. Because life is... Life hurts. And when you learn those kind of hard lesson, lessons in life, then you become a caring person. It's... um. So if you take them as learning experiences and become a beautiful person, become a person which you have a lot of wrinkles on your face, but if you these wrinkles are because you smile, the wrinkles are beautiful. But if the wrinkles are because of you're just crawling at the at the mirror into the mirror, you have the crow's feet on your around your eyes. But those are because you don't like myself. That's not beautiful. But if you smile and you have wrinkles, that's beautiful wrinkles. Have that kind of wrinkles. Smile at your wrinkles and the things in life. Very good. Second question? Or should we have the audience first? Do anybody have here? Nothing, nothing, nothing. Okay. Yep. You want to ask a question? This guy, um, um, you say, okay, let go. The whole process of life is about letting go. Okay, great. But I still find that the mind will ruminate about past things and then you can say, okay, let go, let go. Yep. Aren't you just using the conscious mind to fight against the subconscious mind? Mm. And isn't the subconscious mind more powerful than the conscious mind? Um, it can be. But the thing is you have to realise that there is no subconscious mind. It's it's the same mind, whether it's... It just becomes... Sometimes it seems to be subconscious because it becomes conscious when you look at it. When it becomes sort of, you start hearing the vo voices louder when you spend si time in silence. Mm. Um, so don't fight yourself because you th that you you outsmart yourself. Um, you have to develop a mind which is instead of. The tendency is there is to sort of outsmart yourself and and like I don't want to look at this. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to be grumpy. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to have these things from the past. The goal is to um, learn to how to relate to that. Learn not to pay attention to that. Don't have. Don't give it value. Don't. How else can I put it? Sometimes you just have to spend it, put the effort in. Sometimes you just have to dig your heels in and it's like, no, I'm just going to sit here and look at it. That's the only thing you can do sometimes. You don't want to look at your own mind. It doesn't, it's, it doesn't appear beautiful, but sometimes you just have to put in the effort. Mm. Is it worth asking the question, who is it that's 
that's doing the ruminating or doing the the anger, the fear, or the well, what happens is thoughts don't just appear out of thin air. So you create yourself. You all those things you you put into place and you appear out of that thinking process. It's the craving which goes looking for those things and you then it's basically it becomes you 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 want to distract yourself. You 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 think you don't want to look at those things, but it's still it's almost like a distraction for you. As long as you have something in your mind, you appear. You make even if it's a painful thing, you rather have that than nothing. Because if you let that go, who are you? Who am I if I don't have this painful thing which you're always known to exist with you? You are that. And that has become you for carrying it for everywhere you go. And you cannot fight it to go away. The only th thing you can do is learn to change your perception, your attitude, your willingness to smile at that thing and don't make it into a person, into ego. It is there, but it just appears out of thin air. It's like a magician's trick where that's the simile of the Buddha, of the mind. It, there's nothing real. Mm. It's just out of these stories become you. You are not willing to let go of those stories. Mm. It, it takes the effort. That, that is the effort. Mm. And if you're willing to put in that effort, it becomes easier to let, let it go and not believe in those stories. And they become like, whose stories are these anyways? Mm. So that's a delusion then, really. I'm creating about who I am through those stories. Yeah, delusion is a bit deeper than that. The delusion is that we exist, that there is self. But then, um, yeah, well, I mean, in general terms, in, yeah, you can call it a delusion you, if we're not nitty-gritty about Buddhist terms, terminology. But the, mm. um, yeah, yeah, sure. The, you, you make you, that's what happens. It's, um, yeah. There's no other way of putting it. You believe those stories and that's you. Those stories would be conditioning? The thing is, are the conditioning, uh, the conditioning, they, um, you, as long as you take them aboard, you, they become your story, they become your karma. They become you. They're conditioning. Yeah, they're conditioned. But there is no, like I said, and there's no tabula rasa. You're not born without conditioning. You had those conditioning from life to life to life. And so you, you came into this world when you're reborn in this life. You already had certain conditioning. So there is no way of going somewhere and unraveling that that. Um, ball of thread that you find it the, the first cause they come together and then 
there is no really finding that all of those different threads from that or unraveling it and find it at the end. The only thing we can do is not to try to find that this is because of this. Don't You cannot blame anybody. You cannot even blame yourself. That's the wrong way of going about it. We have to do the opposite. Having loving kindness, having a mind which is letting go. All of those things, and that's the effort. Contentment is a high happiness where you can be content with yourself. And it's and that is the difficult part. Mm. That's what we have to do. All right, thank you. Yeah, no worries. Dr. Chaya. Yes, the question of letting go. Uh, the problem of letting go is our strong sense of ownership to our body, uh, to start with, and then never mind the mind. Uh, but we don't understand that this body really is part of the nature. It belongs to nature. Mm. It's like uh, everything, like uh, trees and other things as well. I mean, came from the uh, sources of the earth and the bodies there with all the elements. And it works by itself. The body works by itself. And it is everything that that happens is automatic, auto-set. The heart is beating by itself, the breathing by itself, the immune system is working by itself, the digestion, everything by itself. But uh, because we have a strong sense of ownership from the beginning, uh, only we only have to take care of it. Then we try to take too much responsibility to the body. And actually, that is the problem, because then we get attached. The body itself is quite smarter than our brain. Our cells have the, the, uh, the knowledge of, taken from the uh, DNA from previous beings, how to survive together. The cells work together. Uh, the various cells work together to make the heart beat together. I mean, it's an amazing system. This is all automatically happening. But... Foolishly, we take so much responsibility to this body that we really don't just have to look after like our own house or our vehicle. That's mm. all we have to do. This is where the problem, that's why we can't let go. Because we are taking too much responsibility to this so-called body we have, which is a part of the nature. If you understand the separation of this body, and the mind has created this idea, uh, that is a starting point of practicing to let go. Yep, that's interesting. Um, it's a starting point. I thank you for that. It was a good comment. Um, yes, we associate ourselves with our bodies. The, we, we're trying to fight the um, sort of blemishes in our bodies and, and all of those things. But the, um, it's an inter- interesting idea. It could be that it's a, it's a good starting point because it's quite easy to contemplate the body just belonging to the nature. Because actually, the more difficult thing is realizing that the mind doesn't belong to us. That the mind belongs to the nature, cause and conditions and all those things. It is actually would be better, says the Buddha, to take your body as you than take your mind as you. It is more difficult for unenlightened person to realize you're not your mind, 
the body, maybe it's like you said, it's a good starting point. And I like your simile, you said it's like a, uh, like a building. We take care of the building or vehicle or something takes us from place to place. But actually, if you really understand Buddha's teaching and you look at your mind, every mind moment is different. When I'm speaking, you hear me speaking, and then it goes, you know, you, you have to have the object, and then you have to have the thing that what makes sense of that speaking, and then, you know, there's the hearing, and then the and the mind makes makes the story out of that hearing. And the Buddha gives, the, and it's the same for every other senses, and the sixth sense, the mind. The Buddha gave the simile of what, they're like, a, like it's like a necklace where they're made out of, Things, but there is no actually string which is holding the um, the necklace together. There is no string between those mind moments. So if you really, how can you take that to be you? How can you take your hearing to be you? Not the body, not the not the physical hearing that the you know the drums are in in your eardrums and all that making, but that mind, which is. The mind is so quickly, and it's quick, and it's changing all the time. It would be better for you to take the body as a self, because at least the body lasts for 70, 80, 92 years old sometimes. At least the body stays sort of very similar since we're childhood. You know, it's very, very slowly changing. It's better to take the body as you, than the mind. The mind is all the time different. There is no soul. There is no soul in Buddhism. There is no like one mind. We don't have that. It's made out of things. It's made out of hearing. It's made out of seeing. It's made out of thinking. It's made out of feeling. It's made out of all these things. And every mind moment is different. So if you if you look at your mind, then you realize who is this person? Who are these projections in, in my mind's eye? But it's I like the idea, like you said, that at least we it's a good starting point to see that the body doesn't belong to us. And it's more difficult to see that the mind doesn't belong to us. That is the difficult. We forget. As soon as you're out of the door. You forget. I forget as well. Don't worry. It tends to come back and, you know, you disappear. The only really where it disappears for a long time is the jhana. And then after that, you see how it's made out of. But even before that, you start seeing. When you're meditating, when you're quiet by yourself, you start seeing this mind moment slow down. And you start seeing that the craving arises. It starts to look for me thinking mind. And it brings it in. You are going, you're looking for things. You're always going, looking, you're holding on to things. But the, yeah, mind also belongs to nature, not just the body. Okay, let's take the online one. Thank you, Ajahn. Um, if we cannot let other people control our happiness, uh, how can we be better partners, friends, and family? Should we not help them with their heavy rocks in life? Well, yeah, um, interesting way of thinking. It's like, oh, yeah, you, you take everybody else's rocks and carry it everywhere. Well, that's what you would tend to do, isn't it? You take other people's problems and you carry it everywhere and you think it's going to make it 
um, better for these other people. Actually, the better way of thinking is um, it's like if somebody's in uh, in trouble and they're in the if they balked into um, swamp or somewhere, it's better not to you to jump in there with them. Just stay out of there and help others from the from the distance. Don't get yourself stuck in the problems, their problems. Stay away from other people's problems in a sense, because if you are depressed, you cannot help the depressed person. So you have to maintain your own happiness, your own sanity, your own kindness, all those things, and then help others. That's the better way of doing things. Not by you getting into depression as well, because you are trying to help and it tires you out and it makes you depressed. That is actually the wrong way of going around it. And it doesn't mean that we don't care. Actually, then you care because you have the energy, you have the kindness. You don't have to be on the same problem with them. Stay out of that. And that is actually your caring. Because then you have the mental capacity to care. We have one more question at the back, and I can see everybody is falling asleep. So if you, if you still have the question, please. I still have the question, but I'm going to leave it. No, okay. Could you? Yeah, it would be nice, because otherwise people online just don't hear anything. with a new question yeah. listening. So you're saying the mind is very in inconsistent? Yeah. Uh, more inconsistent than the body. At least you're saying at least the body is some... It's some different. Every, every mind among... is consistent, un inconsistent, but in a body is more stable, I guess. Mm -hmm. You're saying... So if the, if the mind is in, in, not consistent and the body is not consistent, yeah. what is consistent? What what's not changing? You're asking. Yeah, yeah. Well, tell me what is not changing. What is static? What is never changing? Always the same in this world. What's in Pali we use? Then the Pali word would be Nietzsche. What is permanent? What is constantly reliable? No, you tell me. What can you see in this world anywhere? Yeah. What is always going to be there? Never changing always reliable, or you can just say, that never changes. Change is the only consistent thing. Change is the only consistent thing. You can say that, sure. But the, um, yeah, that we have the Buddhist term um, anicca, which is the basic Buddhist teaching. Nothing which is permanent. There's nothing which is reliable anywhere. And the mind is actually the fastest thing, which is there is. Your mind is constantly different. You're thinking, then you look at me, then you think again, then you hear me, then you feel the, the carpet under your feet, then you think again, then you hear. That is you. That is your mind. It's going from one place to another so quickly that it appears to be as if there was a, st a string of beads, beads, like a necklace, that it's, it's you there. The you appears out of that. 
But there is nothing holding those things together. They're all separate. Every one of those is separate mind moment. So where is you? There is no nothing permanent there. Nothing which is not changing. So you're saying, I understand the mind is not permanent because when you're dead, the mind's gone, the, the body's gone. But who remains to get to the next? Yeah, don't, don't ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, gave, I was trying to give that talk few talks ago and I, it didn't go anywhere because the slate the slate comes you're saying the slate comes in with some information yeah okay? exactly that's okay. your comma yeah so, so Buddhism, Rasa, yeah. Buddhism is to try and clean the slate no rather than put more stuff on the slate in this lifetime no 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 you you cannot sort of erase your comma you cannot there is you have this you exist. Even a fully enlightened person exists. But they don't believe that story anymore. They, it's a, like I said, it's a really difficult topic, that thing where like, okay, there is no self, who gets reborn? That's the basic question, which gets asked all the time, which yeah. I'm not going to go now. But the, so... But so... You're saying you can't erase karma, you can't clean the slate. No. So how do you then get enlightened? You just don't attach to that. You let go. It's like... So you can't erase karma? No, it doesn't erase it. Oh. The karma is still there. It follows you everywhere. But it doesn't really... Um, if you don't... If you don't hold on to this, there is still... There's certain commas which always, like, you cannot erase it. That's the wrong way of looking at it. I, I put it this way. If you're not interested at something, it just appear, disappears. Um, it could be um, you don't pay attention to um, your body, for example, for, for a second. Let's say you're shoulders always appear your shoulders are always th always there but only when you pay attention to your shoulders here you maybe notice that there is tension or there is pain or there is nothing just warmth or something they always there but you don't pay attention to that but only when you pay attention it appears and it's the same thing the so, unless there's pain, unless there's pain, but the the um, but the pain always everything is constantly changing. So even if there's pain, and there's then there's more pain somewhere else. Your your mindfulness goes to that more pain. I'm sort of went into tangent, which I'm not. Uh, I don't. I don't cl think clearly at the moment. But the why somebody gets enlightened, the question remains, is that because they're not holding into anything in this world. They, they. Uh, I think I didn't have enough coffee this morning. So, so, they, so, they. So oh, I'll, let me try to explain. Then, so uh, I, I, it's not going too well, but I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm doing my best. They're not interested. Yeah. It's the interest disappears. They don't have that seed of 
when the attachment, when you go into, when you die, there's nowhere that seed can land. There is no interest into anything. And then where does the mind go? It doesn't go anywhere. The karma is, the, is there from the past, but the interest has disappeared. So it has nowhere to land. The mind has nowhere to land. So we've gone from self-centered to selfless. If there's, there's no self, there's enlightenment? If there's no self, there's enlightenment. Okay, I think I need another coffee before I... This, but yeah, your questions are... So, but the, yeah, the good questions, but it's just my mind is not working, unfortunately. Let's, Dr. Chai is going to explain to us how things work. That's a good question, confusing question. Uh, the, the rebirth is actually... You can't talk rebirth without talk, uh, talking about the law of causality. Law of causality applies to causes and phenomena. Through our ignorance, we attach to these cause and phenomena as yours, then you sub are subject to that cause and cause, uh, causes phenomena, the causality, kamakamipak of the phenomena. In, uh, in Buddhism, as you said, there is no self. Like, like Hindus say, there's Atman. Yes, it, the whole practice of Buddhist practice is not about this liberating this self. It is to understand why, how this I is self is created. Whole practice is about how this wrong view of self is created. When you understand how this view of self is created, well, then you let go. It is not there. That is enlightenment. Not to yeah. release this Atman to moksha. It is to understand through wisdom, through ignorance, how this view of self created from nothing. Actually, there's nothing there. Absolutely nothing. Sunnata. Mm. So that is the practice, not to liberate, to enlightenment, yeah. to find out why this self is created. That whole practice is all about that. Sure. Thank you. Thank you for your explaining us how things work. Uh, and it's, you're right. I mean, uh, Dr. Chai is right. There, it is uh, cause and conditions, and it's the dependent origination where exactly. And it's not through wisdom, actually. What wisdom in the sense that you you cannot ponder it into, it's not this ordinary wisdom, it's the wisdom of letting go. But the, it's actually interesting, it's not like only minor correction, I would say, that, and just playing a word almost. It's not you let go, it's almost the letting go happens. It's just sort of you not interested. There, there is no interest. It just disappears. There is like you see suffering, you don't want to hold it. That's, that's what actually happens to a person who gets enlightened. They just don't want to hold on to anything. They, or the holding on disappears. The you is not there anymore. It's just turning away happens. It's just nature again. There is no, all of a sudden, they, it does, they, they, um, uh, send, uh, free will doesn't appear when you become enlightened. That doesn't appear, that all of a sudden you have, a, there is free will in, for a person who gets enlightened. They don't have free will either. It's just cause and conditions. Turning away happens. And there's nothing to do with you. 
It's just the interest is not there anymore. That's what enlightenment is. It's interesting. So they, it's just cause and conditions, like you said. Exactly. And that was the worst talk for a while, but, you know, what can it? Yeah. Good try. Good try. Thank you. So I was, thank you for everybody. Thanks for listening.